Hello everyone and welcome to Box Office Receipts. I'm your host Tyler Callahan and we got some fucking news this week, let me tell you. Skipping the music intro today for Into the Pipeline, we're jumping right into it. Chinese cinema is back. After I posted last week's episode, word came out officially that Chinese theaters are allowed to reopen. The China Film Administration has announced starting July 20th, movie theaters in low-risk cities can reopen. Right now, this includes most of China, including Shanghai, but Beijing and a few other surrounding cities will not be allowed to open for now. So on paper, this is great news. Except the safety conditions, if theaters want to reopen, are a bit tougher than expected. You have these standard temperature checks when you come in, you have to wear a mask, and deep cleanings in between screenings. That is all part of the new standard. But now they cannot sell concessions at all as well as movies must be two hours or shorter. For the movies that will be showing in the opening weeks, the first batch will be older Chinese movies, including Wolf Warrior 2, The Mermaid, and Niza. But then after that will be Hollywood movies from the end of 2019 to early 2020 that got approval but could not be shown due to pandemic. The movies include 1917, Doolittle, Jojo Rabbit. Others, while approved to be shown, are waiting for a release date. Along with all of this, the Shanghai Film Festival will continue as planned, and a kickoff at the end of July with a limited capacity. Uh, there will be no international guests, and the main competition will be cut. Instead, a selection of movies will be shown. And I think at this point, the festival is running mostly for people to come together and work on deals. All right, so let's talk about the announcement. I was kind of right in that China wouldn't make the decision to open theaters everywhere but Beijing and cite precautions as a safe face, which seems like what is happening. They'll be letting Shanghai take the lead in the reopening with the film festival also happening around the same time. Assuming people show up to watch the old movies, the Chinese government will have for now averted an entertainment industry crisis with studios and theaters running out of money. As for new Chinese movies that were set up for Chinese New Year's, nothing is confirmed, but I read that one of the big ones might wait until... National Day for a release. Ideally, let the theater start to reopen if things are good, relax some of the restrictions, and for National Day, have some big Chinese movies premiere. I think if they can, they should wait for October 1st, because they could possibly get a boost along with other Chinese movies premiering at that time. Now, going to the safety precautions, the two additional uh, of no concessions and movies must be two hours or shorter are odd. Now, I'll have to mention here, while not being able to sell concessions in an American theater would be a death sentence, that is not the case for Chinese theaters. While they do sell you food and drinks, they are also very casual about you bringing in whatever you want to eat. It's more normal to buy a drink and a snack at a convenience store, and then head to the movies. Still, the fact that they can't sell any at all right now will still hurt their uh, revenue a bit. Uh, the two-hour runtime is odd, unless they have studies that show an additional 30 minutes or an hour will increase infection tenfold. I don't see why they would do this. It seems kind of arbitrary. Now for new movies, do they have to make a two-hour cut? Tenant, for example, is clocking in at two and a half hours, and I do not think no one would appreciate having to cut out a fifth of his film. So that is something we need to keep an eye on in the coming weeks and see if that rule is actually enforced. Talking about some actual box office numbers, Peninsula, the Train to Busan sequel, has opened the 20 million worldwide. The movie had the best opening day for a movie in South Korea for 2020, and of the 20 million, 13.2 is from its home country, the rest coming from other Asian countries where the film opened. Considering the social distancing for theaters and not being able to fill them up, I'd say these are really good numbers. South Korea is obviously showing its support, but I've read online that fans are not too happy with the movie itself as it is very different from the first one. Normally I would think this hurts its legs, however, after being locked up for a while not being able to do anything. I think people would not mind seeing a more action thriller zombie movie and just enjoy being out again.
Now let's head to VOD Premium where the focus this week will be on Netflix thanks to their quarterly numbers, new projects, and acquisitions. First, let's look at their info from the quarterly numbers. In the second quarter, Netflix got 10 million new subscribers, more than the 8.26 expected. However, they expect that to slow down a lot in the upcoming third quarter, aiming for 2.5 million. Besides the quieter outlook, Netflix said right now they have around 192 million subscribers worldwide. Finance-wise, they have 16 billion in debt with around 7 billion uh, in cash and 750 million in a credit line. What this means is that they can run the company for the next year without having to rack up more debt. There is also a CEO change in that there are now two CEOs. Ted Sarnandos, who was Netflix's chief content officer, has now been promoted to co-CEO alongside founder Reed Hastings. Financials for Netflix overall still look solid for the company as they right now reap the rewards of the pandemic. But they, like everyone else in Hollywood, need to get back to filming soon. They also said during a conference call that while everything they have planned to release in 2020 is still set to come out on time, it is the content in 2021 that could start to be delayed if production does not resume soon. So that is something to keep an eye on. An acquisition Netflix made this week is from Paramount with SpongeBob Sponge on the Run. Priority is exclusively reporting that Netflix has bought the international rights for the movie, except for China. It also seems that they will get a theatrical release in Canada before heading to Netflix for streaming. So for SpongeBob, America will get it on premium VOD, early 2021, then head to CBS All Access. Canada gets it in theaters, then heads to Netflix. And everywhere else just gets it straight to Netflix. Variety is also reporting that between the deal to sell streaming rights to all access domestically and Netflix internationally, they have been made whole, quote-unquote, on production costs. The movie apparently cost $60 million with MRC co-financing the film, so it looks like at a minimum no one is taking a loss on this. The article was not clear, however, if they made any profit at all or just broke even, because if they did break even, then they are looking at VOD and Blu-ray sales to rake in any profit. The last Netflix story we have to talk about is The Gray Man, and this is the uh, this is a big one. The movie is an action thriller spy movie with Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans as the leads. Not only that, the Russo brothers will be directing the movie uh, with their studio AGBO producing it. And not only that, Netflix will be backing up the biggest budget yet, coming in at around $200 million. Now why the large sum? Well, if this works out, this will become a franchise film series for Netflix. The streaming service is hoping that this is a James Bond level kind of film, and then they can build from there. Here's a small excerpt from Deadline going over the plot and what the expectations are. Quote, the action thriller is a deadly duel between killers as Gentry, Ryan Gosling's character, is hunted across the globe by Lloyd Hansen, Chris Evans, a former cohort of Gentry's at the CIA. The Gray Man turned into a best-selling book series, and the expectation is that Gosling will continue in multiple installments. End quote. So this would be interesting to see how this works. As for a release window, there is none yet, except, except I would say early 2022 at the earliest. They did mention for filming they are hoping to start this fall, but that could be pushed back till next spring depending on the pandemic. If they are able to start filming this year, then I can see a fall 2021 release, but that's a big if. I think as a franchise this could work, and they got some big stars for the first one. What I'm surprised with is Gosling agreeing to, star, to be the star of the franchise for what could be two, three, four films. He usually does one-offs, but uh, hey, maybe he wanted to change. Going to Hulu, IndieWire is reporting that Palm Springs had the best premiere for a Hulu movie yet. The company confirmed to the outlet that Palm Springs broke their opening weekend record 
by having more hours watched over than any other movie that has premiered on Hulu. This is nice for Hulu, as between them and Neon, they spent $17.5 for the rights. But what annoys me about this is that there is no specifics. At least Netflix has been giving more solid numbers, even if a viewer counts have only, you know, if you only watch 15 minutes of a movie, or like 10 minutes of a movie, that counts as a viewer for Netflix. At least it gives you numbers. But since you can't buy these streaming movies, it would be great if Hulu just said how many accounts watched the movie. I also think for streaming services, if they want to make a metric that, say, shows hardcore interest in a movie, show how many subscribers subscriptions did a movie make. So, for example, during an opening weekend for Palm Springs, if 50,000 people signed up to Hulu and the first thing they watched is Palm Springs, that is more direct monetary value as it shows people wanted to watch it. So they signed up to a new service. Now, yes, this metric is not the greatest, as they can cancel after. What if they use their one-week free trial? But as streaming and VOD premieres uh, become more popular, we need better metrics, not just for us film lovers, but actors, directors, and agents need this as well. Finally, I wanted to bring this discussion of PVOD to Viacom CBS, who seems to be following Universal's interest in the new type of VOD. Dan Cohen, who is the president of global distribution for the company, talked about this at a conference hosted by the Digital Entertainment Group. He says how the company is looking at this model more and more, and will continue it with other movies besides Spongebob. But what he talked about that perked my ears was that he recognizes this will only become a more viable option once there are standard metrics to rate a film if it is successful or not. Here's a quote from a Deadline article going over it. Quote, one key variable, he said, We'll be developing a more widely shared set of performance metrics around PVOD titles that can serve as a benchmark, as box office numbers have for decades. Subscription, streaming outlets, and premium cable networks are looking at VOD, PVOD as a potential replacement for theatrical in their hunt for titles to license, but they need a way to set the values for different films. End quote. He also mentioned a bit, a bit about why they made the deal to have some of their content on Peacock when they are trying to revamp the, their service early next year, and it was simple. The service is not ready, and he had content he can monetize now, so he made the deal. Simple enough. As for the PVOD talk, I am glad some executives are now talking about it openly. If studios want this to work, new standards need to be made. Not just so we can look at the numbers, but again, actors, directors, and agents make contracts based on how well a movie could do at the box office. You saw that issue earlier this year, which rolls World Tour. To avoid those in the future, there needs to be stipulations. If it goes to PVOD, how would an actor or director get a bonus, get compensated? Uh, I do hope the studios can come together to set a basis on what standard PVOD will be set at, so going forward in the future we can understand the market for these movies better. And that'll be it for this week's episode of Box Office Receipts. I'll leave a link to the Deadline article going over PVOD in the show notes. It's a great read. Besides that, the question I have for all of you is, should PVOD still be $20 or higher? Let me know on Facebook. Thanks for listening. See you next week.